Spotlight. Brought to you by the Isle of Man Arts Council. Fast am I and welcome to Spotlight. I'm Sarah Hendy and on the show this week, we'll be speaking to celebrated Russian pianist Yulia Chapliner about life as a professional performer. And we'll be joined by the one and only Monty Don, who will be talking to you about his new series, Japanese Gardens, and what gardening means to him as a creative pursuit. get in touch if you have anything creative you'd like to share or come along and talk about you can email spotlight at manxradio.com and if you miss anything today listen again or subscribe to the show as a podcast via itunes google and spotify and you'll also find the spotlight blog on the manx radio website our first guest this afternoon is celebrated russian pianist yulia chapliner who you'll have heard on monday's women's day She wowed audiences with her Russian programme at Ramsey Grammar School, playing works by Prokofiev, Rachmaninoff and Tchaikovsky. As Maurice Powell of Thursday Night's A Little Light Music told me confidently, she's the best pianist the Isle of Man has seen since the Second World War. I spoke to Yulia about the importance of this year being the year of music between Russia and the UK and the carefully curated Russian and British music concert programmes in 2019. Yulia, it's so lovely to have you with us today. We had a wonderful conversation on women today and there was so much more to talk about that. Yes, Spotlight is the place to do it. You're on the Isle of Man to perform a concert uh, for the Ramsey Music Society. It's a concert focusing on Russian composers. Yes, very much so. And this has been... really um, thought long in advance because you know maybe you have heard but uh, UK and Russia the 2019 is the year of music between UK and Russia with various projects happening in Russia and the UK and so when I was choosing what to play for, for, for the 2019 it was um, I definitely thought I must do something um, that's connected to that wonderful theme and indeed so my programs that I play currently are full uh, full Russian programs um, and I play them in various places in the UK and also Germany and 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 France um, and late in the year from about June I play sort of an old British program and uh, I'm starting with a um, lovely concert at the Moscow Conservatoire in August with sort of introducing contemporary British composers and maybe not very well-known English composers, uh, British composers to Russian audiences with my uh, chamber um, partner, Jonathan Deakin. We have a lovely piano duo. Um, so that's that's sort of a mix where where Russia and UK hopefully come close together <laughs> and uh, and and who knows you know culture is the way to unite countries and 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 bring joy to people doesn't matter whether it's russian music or british music or german music it's just a way to celebrate the traditions and the heritage of the countries yeah very much looking forward to that wow it sounds like a wonderful cultural exchange and like you say a really powerful way to connect two different countries uh through the arts through music because it's a universal language absolutely and i was um actually listening to the lovely tchaikovsky um the of the of the fleurs the flower walls in the car 
in the Isle of Van, where we were driving towards the radio station. I thought, how wonderful. You know, this this is Tchaikovsky talking to us, to, to people through generations, you know, from Russia. And here we are at the Isle of Man. And really, the language is absolutely universal. And, and you'd listen then to Handel or Purcell. It's just something that I think is for everyone. Music is for everyone. It's really important to you that when you're playing a piece of music we discussed on Women Today, it's not just about the the accuracy and the sort of technical detail, which we're always blown away by, but it's about the interpretation. It's about the story. How do you um, how do you sort of align yourself with the story behind pieces of music that you that you sit down to play and share with people? Oh, that's that's also a great question. I think, firstly, you have to choose a piece that you're particularly drawn to. So it's very interesting. Like, for example, I'm now going to say something really controversial. I'm not drawn to Chopin now. As if this, as of this moment, I've played loads of Chopin in my life and I love it, but it's just at this moment in my life... I don't I don't feel a special connection. So Chopin is now not featured in my programs. Um I have because I'm so drawn to this I mean, you know, I'm 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 Russian and I'm I'm British as well and I don't know do I feel now very Russian, do I feel a Brit- very British? I guess I'm I'm really a mix um at the moment and I do care as as of this point in my life about the relationship between the two countries and then you know if i play the russian music for for british people in the uk i feel certain sort of responsibility or certain uh, personal feelings when when i play that and simultaneously when I, I go to russia and present british programs to the russian public i feel then another responsibility you know bringing the best of the uk there and you know we will have um ongoing collaboration um with uh, um you know partners in russia and partners in the uk to try and have that exchange going so i you know this in a way is how i create my story how i create my program for at least this year you know and last year it was all french because it was 100 years centenary from debussy's death and i've organized um a, a lovely festival with loads of young people participating masterclass with a french music music and uh, I love Debussy and it was so much fun to choose programs um, of composers who were Debussy's friends and I, I just I guess I just like a story around the pieces I play and connect and just rather than picking anything and say well that's a concert for you I always try to have a yeah have a bit of a background to it and and certain things that excites me you know i try to pick something that excites me at a certain moment in life and then find a suitable program i mean your career has taken you all around the world you must have played more pianos than you can remember when you when you arrive at a venue how do you approach a new piano you must have to kind of i don't know almost make friends with it maybe they must all have such different personalities and have you ever had to say to a host of a of a concert that you're involved in i'm terribly sorry but this this one just doesn't work (laughs) well fortunately i have been fortunate to be out of these situations (laughs) because if you are putting a concert and uh you are half um, sort of responsible <laughs> to to provide a good enough instrument, but um, 
Yeah, I must say, for example, where I grew up in Russia, in the conservatoire, the instruments are not of the best quality, at least in the studio rooms. And you had to fight sometimes with the mechanics. But do you know what? I... I find it I find it very interesting. So the, the piano that you have for practice, it mustn't be really very good because then it does all the work for you because I'm a, actually I'm a Steinway artist and I go to Steinways a lot to practice in London and they have most fabulous pianos you can you can practice on. And do you know what I find? I find that the piano just does the work for you. You 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 can you can you'd almost just your practice becomes playing, which is completely the wrong way around to think about it because you actually have to work and, and improve things in your practice. So um, it's, it's a paradox in a way, but I think the, the harder piano you practice on, the easier it gets to play on, on an instrument that you're given. But, I mean, instruments are temperamental and they, they, they need certain time to get you know accustomed to. But, yeah, it's always, it's always almost... Uh, a little mystery what 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 awaits you there but i i usually have no problems so i'll touch wood <laughs> yeah we'll touch wood for you um have any pianos left a, a really big impression on you have you particularly enjoyed and uh, playing a, a certain piano and the, the memory has stayed with you um yes yes well um in a way um all pianos are very very different and each of them has their sort of you know, best qualities or, or, or a certain spark about them. I I can't tell you if I have, you know, if I remember a particularly good piano. I just, I think you remember the acoustics and the way it sounds as well in connection to the piano. I think in that in that sense, um, I mean, the Purcell room, you know, it's in, in the South Bank, it's, it's newly refurbished. And I must say they've, acoustically, it works really, really well what they've got. Um, they've got a lovely Steinway D, but it just, it just works together. I mean, there are a couple of places, but um, that really stood out to me this time I've played there. As such a remarkable performer I don't doubt your skills are in high demand from uh, people not only who want to enjoy them but also learn from you if you're tutoring someone if you're trying to give people advice on um, on their own practice and their own performance what what would you like to instill in your students um, well I have quite a couple of people uh, young people coming to me um, and either they preparing for the entrance exam for the conservatoire or they are at the conservatoire and just want additional coaching and I'm very much involved in loads of master classes in sort of festivals so I see a lot of younger people uh, students uh, and I think my favorite thing to work on um, is the sound um, because the sound of, of artists can be very different and I'm one of those that really is very passionate about the beauty of the sound and how you produce and so you're all free when you play the piano because um, you know playing the piano is not one of the most healthy jobs you can have because you know you have a bad back and you know you can be cramped so I'm trying to work on um, postures and feeling free when you play because um, yeah I think this is one of the main reasons of course I think I'm more of a a British um, teacher rather than a Russian teacher because almost all Russian teachers have been 
except actually for, for my the most recent one, Alexeyev, uh, Dmitry Alexeyev, who's at the Royal College of Music, they've been quite uh, <laughs> powerful and imposing their sort of views on you, where I think that each person is entitled to have their own view. It just must be supported by certain style elements and technique elements, but you're welcome to have your interpretation rather than copying you know what I suggest and that's why I also don't like playing for people um during some master classes and things like that because I think the minute you hear how I do it you're going to copy it straight away you know there is no thought behind how you do it so I guess those are the points I'm trying to concentrate mm -hmm. and just finally with such a busy schedule performing to so many people as a creative how do you take care of yourself because as an artist your abilities your skills your talent is in demand people want to hear your music um but it must be a real challenge to sort of take care of yourself and make sure that you are in the best space possible to to do what you love totally true uh, totally true. At the moment, I have a bit of a problem because um, I just happen to be super busy and I'm not quite great at saying, OK, I stop now and don't think about it. Um, I tend to also sort of worry about things in advance and, you know, I... I reply to people at the weekend rather than saying, OK, this is now my time off or something. Um which is probably not the best going forward. So I need to work on it a little bit and I need to be quite rigid. Um, but I don't know, my husband is great. And actually men whom I know, I don't want to sound gender stereotypic, but there's something about men knowing when to stop and say, okay, I do not look at this now where I, I tend to look at everything every single minute rather than saying, okay, I'll deal with it later. Um, so something I have to really work on at the moment. I must say you've hit a, a bit of a spot. <laughs> <laughs> But I think the most important thing um, is actually to get the concentration there when you practice or you try to prepare. Because at, at this age, I mean, the, 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 the technology is absolutely amazing. You can do so many things with it. But there is a huge downside because you're always um, checking things uh, and it affects your practice concentrations and things like that. I don't want to say I'm against technology, but I think, again, it should be looked in, in, in moderation, especially if you have to work on something when you have to concentrate and, yeah. Mm. Well, thank you so much for talking to us about your creative process. Oh, thank um, you. It's writing. so lovely to speak to you. If people want to hear more of your music recordings of you playing, they can find those on your website, can't Absolutely, they? Absolutely, yes. There is a website with a quite an easy, uh, I hope, name, www.yuliachaplina.com, where there are recordings and videos and also pictures and my biography. So if people would like to check me out or see um, upcoming concerts, they can subscribe to mailing lists.
And that was Yulia playing Tchaikovsky's Nocturne in F major. So head along to Yulia's website to hear more of her playing. The link, as ever, is on the Spotlight blog at monksradio.com. And now I have the distinct honour of welcoming Mr. Monty Don to Spotlight. So, Monty, it's lovely to have you with us. Thank you for joining us today. We read your columns, we read your books, and we followed you around French, Italian, Paradise Gardens, Zen Gardens. What is it about Japanese gardens in particular which inspires you? I think, uh, first of all, I had a, a fascination for Japanese gardens because when I was a student, light years ago, I got very interested in Zen Buddhism and uh, was sort of semi-serious about it, but realized that I'd have to learn Japanese to really take it forward and I was too idle to do that so so that fell by the wayside but that that sort of stayed in me and then about 12 years ago I went to Japan and filmed Zen temple gardens but I realized when I got there that there was so much more to it than just Zen I mean that was one aspect and it was fascinating but but that really is just one not small but but it's one facet of Japanese life and Japanese gardens so to have the opportunity to go back and really explore the whole range of Japanese gardens. And I realized very quickly that you can't do it just by looking at their gardens. You have to explore their whole culture because gardens are both part of their culture and reflect their culture. And this is, so for example, calligraphy and flower arranging are connected to gardening umbilically. You you really can't do one without the other. Uh, And that flower arranging uh, is based from painting, uh, and and so on and so forth, and that the 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 first and the sort of great expo- expo- exponents can't speak um, of the tea ceremony and of ikebana flower arranging were samurai warriors, and so that, and then you have obviously the the influence of the temples and and the Zen temples, but also. Uh, other aspects of Buddhist temples, making gardens from, well, the earliest gardens I visited was 700, uh, but going right through, particularly from the medieval period, up through um, the Edo period, which went from 1603 right through to 1850, uh, and the Meiji period that followed it was, was, was westernized. So this is a long, rich seam of cultural tradition of which gardens are part. I don't know if this would be a fair observation, but from an outsider's perspective, um, what you've talked about so far is about um, sort of Zen-infused traditional Japanese culture, um, which is you know very much connected to the gardens, as you say. Would it would it be fair to say that um, that contemporary Japanese culture seems to be more about um, an escapism through sort of bizarre poppy frivolity? And if you'd agree with that, would that contrast be evident in any Japanese gardens you've seen? Um, I'm going to answer it in reverse, really, because the contrast between this extraordinary embracing of of what I think of as kitsch, really. I mean, it's what we called when we were filming the Hello Kitty syndrome. Um, And it's it's a kind of celebration of both the extremes. The Japanese love extremes of of all kinds, some of which, which is disturbing for us, um, and some of which is frivolous, and some of which is very creative. Uh, But that has to be set in the context of the extreme formality and adherence to cultural norms that run right through, I mean, so strongly through all aspects of society. So it's shaking that off. And also, uh, it tends to come from outside. Is the Japanese need a kind of outside influence 
to to throw off the shackles as might be seen of convention um it doesn't often and this is a huge generalization get generated from within because culturally it's so difficult to do that and being an outsider being an outlaw um which an artist really has to be to a certain extent is is a very extreme position to adopt in Japan so therefore it tends to be expressed in a very extreme way in gardens you don't see it so much but i mean you see it in odd ways so for example i visited a garden uh in yokohama on a on a railway rooftop made by a zen monk and it's a rock garden and it's very pure and you know he told me the whole sort of story about it and and uh, and what have you and there's a whopping great vending machine sort of by the entrance to the garden and it to my eye was such an anomaly i mean it, it, it was so weird to have it there but he i asked him about it and he said no well you know it's just there it's fine don't look at it and then i visited another house uh, of a gallery owner made by a very groovy architect a beautiful house modern five stories really exciting like sort of made created like a whole series of jumble of boxes which built in gardens onto every level on the outside of the building so up six floors up you would have sort of trees growing out the side of the building and one thing or another and outside the door an incredible tangle of wires and sort of street furniture but not in a good way to our eye you know just just a genuine mess and i said how do you feel about it i said that's tokyo that's just the way it is so i think that the japanese are, are much better at accommodating seemingly incompatible uh entities within one picture i don't know if that answers your question but it's something that struck us very very strongly when we were there Absolutely it does. Thank you. Thank you very much. That was a, a lovely answer. Um I'm very curious about whether all of those experiences and observations have influenced your own garden uh, design or practices in any way. I think what's influenced me are, are two things. One is the concept of ma. This this MA the which and it simply means the importance of the space between things. and it could be two branches of a tree that you prune it could be two words that the pause is really significant in music the interval between notes um obviously in things like calligraphy or flower arranging the the gaps that you create the space and we all sort of know that you know we all know that uh what the space between things is part of design but in japan it's absolutely fundamental it's really of the essence and i think that everybody can apply that and i certainly can in my own garden and i think the other thing which was just brought home to me again and again is that no detail is too small to be beautiful so if you're tying something up use a beautiful twine make sure the knot is very beautiful you know if you're if you're doing something that seems incidental it is as important as anything else in the garden and I think that as a gardener I don't do that and I think as a culture we don't do that. We forgive things that we think of as being slightly lesser or slightly less important. There is a rigor to Japanese culture in general but gardens in particular that doesn't allow for any of that and I, and I think that's a good lesson to learn. That's a lovely observation and I think that definitely comes across in your work. Um how you feel about gardening as a creative pursuit um because i mean when we talk about creativity we talk about the practical aspect but also um the the ethics the the intent behind it and um, what what does that mean to you as a as a gardener 
I think, uh, to me personally, it means everything. I think that that gardening is and should always be celebrated as a creative act. Um, a garden, by default, is a work of art. Now, it may be a bad work of art. You know, it does, it's just because something is creative. It doesn't make it good. There's plenty of bad art in this world. That's up to you, and that's up to the beholder. But I think to ignore or dismiss that aspect of gardening is to limit its potential unforgivably. And the British, over the last hundred years, and it is only over the last hundred or so years, have have made gardening a very prosaic thing, have, have focused on the process rather than the end result. And gardening and technique and the right way to do it and the expertise involved has rather overwhelmed the result and artistic creation and yet we all love it we all visit beautiful gardens and we recognize beauty when we see it we recognize poetry when we see it um, and I just think that we can be more open about that and say yeah that's what I do in my garden I'm making a work of art and I love it and it's enriching and it's feeding me I hope you like it too well, on that note, I'm off to recline in a darkened room, but you can head to the Manx Radio website to download this week's episode as a podcast, or of course, subscribe via iTunes, Google and Spotify. I'll be back next Wednesday at half past five, so do join me then. Have a lovely creative week. Slen you.